We're glad you're here. We're in the middle of a series going through Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Now, Paul wrote the letter to the Romans to help them and us get our mind around this biblical doctrine of justification. Justification is basically a legal term that means that even though I'm a guilty sinner who's rebelled against God, God has declared me not guilty. Right? And so a lot of people said, oh, how does that happen? I mean, did God just sweep it under the rug? Did he, he just act like it didn't happen? No, not at all. We do that sometimes. For instance, when I was 13 years old, me and some of my buddies decided that it was, uh, new, it was time for New Year's, and we decided that we were going to get us some beer and ring in the New Year's, you know, right at 13, right? And so it was, it was illegal because I was way underage. It was sinful, way underage. I was underage, too. Uh, <laughs> It was, uh, I, I, it was illegal because I was way underage. It was sinful because I didn't obey the authorities, my parents, or the law. So, but, but we were rebels, right? And so, so we arranged to get a, a, a case of pony, Miller Lite ponies. Uh, you know, I mean, man, we weren't beer snobs, obviously. Didn't know what we were doing. But, uh, but so we got some, and man, after we rode a couple of those 7.5-ounce ponies, the new year comes spinning in, right, at 13 years old. So we were golden until uh, one of my, bu my boys just uh, broke the code of silence and ratted us out. And so, man, my mom, she came to me. She was mad as a box of frogs, man. I mean, she was hot. She said, did you have beer on New Year's Eve? And I said, you know, I, I've done a lot of stupid stuff, all right? And so I wasn't always the perfect person I am today, by the way, all right? So uh, <laughs> that's a joke for those of you who are guests. Uh, uh, my, I've done a lot of stupid stuff, and I've always owned up to it. So I said, yeah, Mom, I sure did. I did it. I did it. And so she said, you wait till your daddy gets home. And boy, you know, when that happens, you're in trouble, right? So my dad come home. She tells my dad, and basically he just swept under the rug and acted like nothing ever happened. And I thought, boy, boy, that's good. I can do that again, right? So... Many people wonder if that's what justification means. Did God just sweep our sin under the rug? Did he act like it didn't happen? And the answer to that is no. Some people say, why couldn't Jesus, uh, why did Jesus have to die? Why could God not just have said, okay, I forgive you? The reason is because God is just. God is holy and he cannot just overlook sin. Sin had to be dealt with for God to be just. And that's what the cross is all about. And that's what the book of Romans is all about. And as we go now through, so we started in chapter 5, this installment, we're going through 8, and 5, 1 through 11, Paul outlines some amazing benefits of justification. One of those benefits, we talked about peace with God, unlimited access with God. We talked about the fact that, that we'll be in the presence of God now and, and, and forever. I mean, on and on. And then we talked about eternal security. The fact that my salvation is secure. Not because it's, it's secure because it's based on what Jesus did, not on what I do. It's based on his work, not my work. And because of that, it's secure. Now, Paul knew that uh, this doctrine of, of uh, uh, perseverance of the saints, eternal security, would cause a, a, a lot of question. People would have a hard time getting their mind around that. I mean, how, well, how is that fair? How does that happen? Jesus gets all the punishment. I get all the benefit. Are you sure? I mean, I, I don't understand it. And so in 12 through 21 of chapter 5, Paul talks about one of the greatest theological aspects of justification. It's a word called imputation theologically. Now, I'm using some big words, justification, imputation, and I want you to know we're not going to back down from those words here at LifePoint. We do not want you to be remedial Christians, first off, all right? 
Uh, second off, the more you know about God, the, more, the, the deeper you know about God's character, the more glorious God becomes. So therefore, we're not going to lower the bar. We're going to raise the bar. We're not going to dumb it down at all. Uh, we're not going to call you. We're going to challenge you with these things because we want you to grow. Now, we're going to use these words, but we're going to always explain them so you know what they mean, okay? So the word imputation is very important. And the word imputation basically means this. Justification, as I said, is a legal term that means even though you're guilty, you're justified, right? It's just as if I'd never sinned. Uh, and how does that happen? Imputation is how that happens. Imputation is a word that means something is reckoned into your account. In other words, if all of a sudden you put money into my bank account, if you would like to do that, I will gladly give you my bank account number, right? You would impute me some money that would be given to me, right? Something that is given to me, reckoned to me. It, imp amputation means something is taken away, right? You amputate a limb. Imputation means you're, you get something, right? And so imputation is vital to understanding justification because if there's no imputation, if you don't get something, then there's no gospel, there's no justification by faith alone. It's vital. And Romans 5 Chapter, chapter 5, verses 12 through 21 are Paul's clearest teachings. It's really the clearest teachings in all of the Bible about imputation. And so we're going to look at that. And our bottom line, our takeaway today is one for all. Because that's what imputation is all about. And you're going to see it. So I'm going to read the entire passage. It's a long passage. It's a long passage. I'm going to read it. And you're going to understand, man, this is a mouthful. Okay? This is a lot. Uh, to be honest, I could preach five, six messages here, but we're going to focus on imputation, and, and, and you'll see why. So let me read this, and then we're going to talk about it, break it down, okay? It says, so this, therefore, therefore, because of all of these benefits that we have, and he's coming out of it, uh, 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 the security of our salvation, just as sin came into the world through one man. This one man is obviously Adam. Adam sinned, it came into the world through one man, and death through sin, sin brought death, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Now look at this. That was past tense. Okay, he didn't say because all commit sins. He said because all sinned. All right, very important. You'll understand why in a minute. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. The law was given at Moses, right? There was no law from Adam to Moses. So sin was in the world during that time. But look at what he says. But sin is not counted where there's no law. So all those people, you know, that was between Adam and Moses committed sins, he said, but it wasn't counted against them because there was no law. We're going to talk about that. Yet death reigned. The consequences of sin were still there from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. They sinned, but it was different than Adam's sin. We'll talk about that. Who was a type of the one who was to come? He was a type of Christ, a foreshadow. Moses was also a type of Christ, a foreshadow. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's uh, uh, trespass or that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned, through that one man, much more will those who receive abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification for all men. Very important verse right here. All right, that, that ought to be confusing to you. Because I want to read it again. I want to read it slow. And, and it says, Therefore, as one trespass, Adam's sin led to condemnation for all men, everybody. Men is anthropo, anthropos, which means uh, all people, right? So he said, Adam's sin led to, to condemnation for everybody. So one act of righteousness, this is Jesus' death on the cross, leads to justification in life for everybody. Uh-oh, now that's confusing. We're going to talk about that, all right? I hope that confuses you a little bit, uh, or when I say, I hope it confuses you. I don't want it to confuse you when we're through. I hope it causes you to say, hold on a minute, stop, pump the brakes, let me see what's going on. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Final verse. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wow. That is a mouthful, right? So it doesn't take an English major to realize that when you start in verse 12, that's not a complete sentence. Paul starts out, and he does what I do a lot, except he's much more eloquent. He, he starts chasing lots of rabbits, right? Paul said, made a statement in verse 12. It caused him to think about some things, and so he started chasing some rabbits. The difference is his rabbits are divinely inspired. Mine's not all the time, right? So he starts chasing all these rabbits, and the flow really is this. He says verse 12, verses 13 through 17 are parenthetical. They're basically some uh, rabbit trails. So verse 12 to verse 18, if you put verse 12 and then read 12 to then 18, it flows really good because seven, 12, 13 through 17 are parenthetical. They're filled with a lot of technical stuff. And I could preach five, six messages on all that technical stuff. But what we're going to do is rather than focusing on all the technical stuff, I'm going to help you to understand some of its importance. But we're going to focus on the main idea that Paul is trying to help us get, and that is imputation. All, one for all. Imputation, one for all. Notice in, in these verses, in verses 12 through about 19, he, he says the word one 12 times. One referring to Adam and one referring to Jesus. One man Adam, one man Jesus. Twelve times. He said, used the word all eight times. All referring to everybody who's ever lived and all referring to everybody who's in Christ. You're either in Christ or you're in Adam. All right? And so, so that's what we're, we're, we're going to talk about. Now notice he, he, what he said was, he said sin came into the world through one man. That was Adam. Sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, and death spread to all because all sin. He didn't say all commit sins, but all sin. We'll, 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 we'll talk about that, right? It, it's past tense, and, and, and basically what he's saying is, when Adam sinned, you sinned. When Adam sinned, I sinned. Be death came to all, spread to all because all sinned. He's talking about when Adam sinned, it was reckoned to us. It was imputed to us. It was given to us. Because he represented, he was the federal head who represented all of humanity. The word Adam, the name Adam, is really in Hebrew Adam, and it means mankind. Adam represented all humanity. Every person who would ever live was represented by Adam in the Garden of Eden, right? And a lot of people don't like that, especially here in America or in the Western world because we're individualistic. We like to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We like to do our own thing. We want to represent ourselves. Why do I suffer? Am I punished for something Adam did? Right? Why? And, and so that's called representation, and it's life, like it or not. That's the way the world works. It's always been that way. 
I mean, you know, if you go all the way back, Adam's a great example of that. Think about David and Goliath, right? David stepped on the field against Goliath. If David won, Israel won. Goliath won, the Philistines won. Representation. Think about it in our world today. Many examples. I could come up with many. A few is, man, I'm a sports fan. I'm a football fan in particular, right? I mean, and so when, when you go to watch that Titans or that Vols game and one of those fools jump offside, right, and penalize, he, it's not only him that goes back five yards, right? It's the entire team that goes back five yards. Why? Because the one man represents the entire team. It's one for all, right? I mean, that's like in our elect, uh, our American electorate system, our electoral system, the way we, the way we vote for our representatives. We vote for people to represent us. You know, like it's Don White. Don White's in our church. She's a state representative. You know, we, I vote for Don. That's not a political statement about Democrat, Republican. It doesn't matter. She represents my worldview. I'm going to vote for people who represent my worldview, right? Problem is, many times we represent people that represent our wallet, and that gets us into trouble. Now, our, 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 our representatives don't always do what we want them to do, right? And, but we don't make the decisions they do. That's the way our system works. Our president, many of you love our president, many of you don't love our president. It doesn't matter who's our president, that's the issue, right? I mean, it doesn't matter if you go back from George Washington to Barack Obama. People love president, people don't like the president, right? Either way, he represents you whether you like it or not. If you love him, he represents you. If you don't love it, he represents you. He can send our boys to war. If our boys go to war, although you didn't vote, we don't take a popular vote on going to war. We put him in office, he represents us, he sends them to war. We can't say, I'm not at war. We are at war because our president, our, our, our elected representative represents us to the world declared war. So he represents us, right? I mean, so that's just the law of representation. That's how it works. And so, so when, when we come into this deal, people would say, Adam represents us. Why does Adam represent us? I mean, I didn't, get a cho I didn't get a vote. I got to vote for our president, but I didn't get a vote for Adam. I didn't get a vote like you would have made a better choice. I mean, really, listen, let's be real. Most of you can't decide what you want to do for dinner, right? Let alone decide who could better represent you. I mean, I don't know about you, but in my car, we get in the car if we're going to eat. Amy, where you want to eat? I don't know, wherever you want to eat. I don't know, wherever you want to eat, right? It's like this, oh, gosh, I just wish we'd stayed home, right? We can't even decide where we want to go to dinner. And so, listen, we can't decide to go to dinner. We think we're going to decide on a better representative. Some of you are even foolish enough to think, man, you, you could have done a better job than Adam. I mean, listen, I, I, if I'd have had a shot, I'd have done a better job than Adam. Most of you men can't even look at a woman without drooling like a rabid dog. Yet you think you could have made a better, de I mean, a, a better decisions and acted better in, in Eden than Adam? Listen, we don't know how long he lasted, but, uh, but God, I mean, the Bible lets us know that they lasted a while in the garden before they fell. You know, we'd have been dead immediately, right? And so here's the thing, right? Adam, God did us a favor by allowing Adam to represent us because God did not choose Adam to represent us, although what I want you to understand is God choosing someone is not like you and I choosing someone or electing someone because God is omniscient. God knows everything. God is omnipotent, which means God is all-powerful to make it all happen, right? So God don't make bad choices. But God didn't choose Adam to represent us. God created Adam to represent us, right? 
I mean, God created him, and he was completely pure. He had no corruption by sin, which meant his intellect was far superior than anyone who's ever lived after him except Jesus, which meant his spirituality, his morality, his decision-making abilities, his cognitive reasoning, everything was much, much farther superior than anyone who's lived out before, uh, since him with, with the exception of Jesus, right? I mean, so he, God did you a favor by la allowing this superhuman to represent you. It would be like this. Let's say that we go down to Atlanta to the SEC championship game. Tennessee will be there one day, okay? So let's say we load up, and man, we buy some tickets, and we go down. And you know, at halftime, they have this, uh, this deal to where... This, this deal where you can kick field goals and throw footballs. And, man, you can win a million bucks. But Dr. Pepper, you remember all that? I just gave Dr. Pepper a push. See, it works, didn't it? So, so you, let's say that you're chosen. You're going down on the field, and all you got to do is throw a football through a tire. they got this tire. It's, it's tied to ropes. It's hanging there. And you, they put you 10 yards back and say, if you nail uh, that, that throw and you throw the football through the middle of that tire, you get a million bucks. Boy, I'm excited, you know. Because I, I, I can throw a football. I'm excited. But then they do me one better. And they said, but hold on. Here's even better. We're going to let Peyton Manning represent you. So Peyton Manning comes marches out. You know, and he says, hey, Pat, how you doing? He wouldn't say that. I don't know him. But he, he, he comes out. He comes out. And, and listen, he, he is he, he's allowed to represent me. Only a fool would say, I don't want him to represent me. I can do it better myself. If I were there and somebody says, ah, I'll do this myself, I would stand up and shout, the fool don't deserve a million dollars. He's going to spend it wrong, take it away from him. He's not smart enough to have it, right? Peyton's going to represent me because he's far superior than me, right? Far superior. Now, could he miss? Yes. But he's far superior to me, right? That's, this is the deal with, with Adam. Adam was our best representative ever. Because he was far superior. And what's going on here is God is saying, Paul is saying, God's saying through Paul, the problem is original sin. Now, theologically, original sin does not refer to the very first sin. The very first sin was Lucifer being cast out of heaven because he rebelled against God. That's recorded in Isaiah. That's the first sin. The original sin theologically refers to the consequences of sin that are given to all mankind because of Adam's sin. I like to refer to it as inherited sin because we inherited it. My daddy got it from his daddy, who got it from his daddy, who got it from his daddy. And I all came on down, and they gave it to me, and I gave it to my sons. And, and Adam, it began with Adam. We all inherited. It's imputed. Imputation. It was reckoned to our account. It was given to everybody ever born. That's what, you know, original sin is. And so virtually every church throughout all of history has believed in, agreed that there is original sin. The problem is... The debate comes in with how, how what level of, of, of corruption did that original sin bring? How far did we fall from original righteousness? And that's a huge question. It's a huge debate. There were two guys named Augustine and Pelagius. They were, they were contemporaries years ago. Augustine's a major theologian that we study today. They debated over how far we fell from original righteousness, how, 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 what was the level of corruption in the fall, right? Pelagius said there was no fall. Adam and Eve's sin did not represent us. It didn't affect us, right? Well, 
uh, Augustine just took him to the woodshed, to be quite honest with you. I mean, uh, Augustine actually read the Bible and used the Bible rather than his liberal beliefs, right? And so Augustine took him to the woodshed, to be honest. And Augustine, with, with Pelagius, he said there was a fall. Adam did indeed fall. And Adam's sin was uh, imputed to every person who's ever lived. But here's the thing that Adam had prior to the fall, Augustine said. He said that Adam had these twin abilities. One, he had the ability to sin or not to sin, right? I mean, he could sin. Uh, but he could not sin if he didn't, I mean, because that's what God created him. Uh, he, he was not morally corrupt. He had no inherited sin. Uh, and so therefore, uh, because he wasn't corrupt, he could not sin or he could sin. He also had another ability, and that was he had the ability to die or not die. Right? I mean, God said, Adam, this place is yours, man. I bought it. I created it. It's yours. Have fun. I mean, man, you can run through the woods. You can eat what you want. You can have a great time. Do anything you want to do except one thing. Don't eat from that tree there. You eat from that tree, you will die. He had the ability to not die, obey, not die. He had the ability to die, right? Now, no one since Adam and Eve has had that ability. You see, I don't have the ability to not sin. I mean, Paul tells us that for every temptation there's a way out, which is true. I am removed from the penalty of sin. Jesus broke the bondage of sin when he redeemed me, so I'm no longer under the control of sin. I'm no longer under the bondage of sin. I'm removed from the penalty of sin, but I still live in the presence of sin. I'm weak, and so therefore I still commit sins, right? Until I am in heaven, uh, you know, I, I do not have the ability to not sin. I do not have the ability to not die. Right? I mean, the death rate, I don't know if you know this. This is, th if you don't know this, you need to know it. I mean, th the death rate's 100%. Okay? You're going to die. Go buy some life insurance, all right? Make sure you, uh, if your husband don't have it, you make him go get some. Because <laughs> you're going to die. Death rate is 100%. All of us going to die. And when you die, here's what's going to happen. The coroner is going to come in, and he or she is going to fill out a death certificate. Right? You got to have that death certificate to get your life insurance. And so they're going to fill out a death certificate. And there's a spot on that death certificate where they fill out the, the, the cause of death. Oh, they fill out with whatever, you know, they think is the cause of death. Heart attack. Pew. You know, stroke. Pew. If you're a gangster, GSW, gunshot wound, right? <laughs> I mean, they, they, what, they put a cause of death on there. The problems, none of them are right. No one has ever filled out. A, they ought to have a class on a corner about how to fill it out because the cause of death is never right. It has never been right because the cause of death is not a heart attack. The cause of death is not a gunshot wound. The cause of death is not a stroke. Those are symptoms. The cause of death is sin. That's what you ought to have them put on your death certificate. When I die, I won't sin put on my death certificate. That's why I died. That's why it's your enemy. Okay? Sin is your enemy. So listen, everybody dies. Why? Because of sin. We don't have the ability to not die. Adam did. We don't have the ability to not sin. Adam did. But here's the cool thing. In heaven, the curse will be reversed. The curse will be reversed. In heaven, I will not have the ability to sin. I will not have that ability in heaven. In heaven, I will not have the ability to die. So the curse will be reversed, and I will even be better than Adam and Eve because they had the ability to sin, not sin, ability to die, not die. In heaven, I will not have, today, I don't have the ability to not sin or to not die, but in heaven, I'll not have the ability to sin or to die. Boy, that's a mouthful. You got that? I hope I said it right. 
So anyway, this means that Adam and Eve were, they had this ability and they failed, they sinned, and when they sinned, we sinned. And so Paul said sin and death are universal because Adam, his sin was imputed to you and I. Now, to help us understand that and the depths of that, here's what Paul says. He said that sin reigned from Adam to Moses, although there was no law, okay? And so he said because there was no law, their sin didn't count against them because sin is not counted where there's no law. Let me tell you what he's saying. He's saying that between Adam and Moses, people committed actual sins. Man, they lied, they stole, they drank Miller ponies on New Year's Eve before they were uh, of age i mean man they 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 did some stupid stuff like i don't know uh, rooted for alabama they, they did great sins great sins be between adam and moses but 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 paul said but there was no law to define what sin was the law defines what sin was and because there was no law what happened was god said their actual sins their individual sins were not counted against them because they didn't have a clue the definition of the law. Very important for you to get this because we preached in back in Romans 1 what happens to the person in Africa or the person in India in a village somewhere that does not have the Bible. They've never heard the name Jesus. They've never heard the gospel. They don't have the law. Okay, same issue right here. The, the, between Adam and between Moses, they didn't have the law. Their sin wasn't defined. So Paul said where there's no law, their sin is not yet count, or their sin is not counted against them. He said, although their sin was not like Adam's. Now, what did he mean by that? Adam had the law. They didn't have the law. Here's Adam's law. Don't eat, live, eat, die. That's what God told them. God specifically defined for Adam his morality, what he should do. Do this, you will live. Do this, you will die. Adam had a specific law to obey, rebelled and disobeyed. People from Adam to Moses didn't have that, he said. So their actual sins were not counted against them. But, he said, they still died. Death still reigned. In other words, here's what he said. Their actual sins were not counted against them because they didn't have the law. But the consequence of sin still reigned in their life. They still died. They still suffered the consequences of sin. And they still, without Jesus, without faith in Jesus, went to hell because they had imputed sin. We don't... We don't, we're, 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 listen, we're not sinners because we commit a sin. We, are, we, we sin because we're sinners at birth, right? And so we have this imputed sin, this inherited sin, and that's what Paul's point is. Paul's helping us to understand the reason that we need justification, and the reason it's by Jesus and by Jesus alone. He's saying because, uh, you know, even people who've never heard the gospel today, here's the thing, people say, would God send somebody to hell because they've never heard the gospel? No, God sends somebody to hell because they reject him. That's the Bible. Okay, God sends people to hell because all people have rejected him and worshiped the creature rather than the creator, Romans 1. We talked about that. Somebody's never heard the, never heard the gospel, never, never heard the name Jesus. They're still under the imputed sin of Adam. That's why we've got to go. Because as John Wesley said out in our hallway, we've got a, a banner that hangs. Untold millions are still untold. Right? And so, so as a result, we are not born basically good. We're born really bad. Theologically, it's called total depravity. Now, the issue is, is how far are we depraved? Do you believe that we're born basically good? Do you believe we're born some bad, some good? 
Well, what Adam is, or what Paul is saying here is, Adam fell, his sin was imputed to you, which means you were totally corrupt. Total depravity means that you are, your total being is depraved. It, sin affects your mind. It affects how you think. That's why your thinking is warped. Sin affects your speech. That's why our speech is warped. Sin affects our actions. That's why our actions are warped. We are totally depraved. We're not basically good. We are corrupt. We are totally depraved. And as a result, we have no moral ability to do anything good. Now, that would cause question, and people, because they can't logically get that, say, well, I don't know if that's true or not. And, and we've got to understand it's not about logic, but here's the, here's the thing. People says, well, I don't know. Total depravity means you can't do anything morally good. But I know a lot of people that don't know Jesus, and they give a lot of money to, to feed the hungry. Matter of fact, a lot of multimillionaires give more money to fight trafficking than churches. I mean, man, there's people that help, uh, you know, uh, feed hungry people and take care of orphans. Man, is that not good? It's a good thing. But here's what the Bible says. What does not proceed from faith is sin. Another thing, in other words, here's what you need to understand. God, as, as we're told in Scripture, everything was created by God and for God, right? Everything was created by God and for God. Everything's about God. And so everything that we do is about bringing glory to God. And anything we do that brings glory to anything but God is sin. So if we give money... If you got a, a you know a multimillionaire that gives a million dollars to 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 you know fight hunger, we can stand up and go, wow, what a good dude, and that's a great act. But if it didn't proceed from faith, it's sin. Because in other words, if he gave that million dollars so he get a tax credit, that's about him, not God. If he gave that million dollars to help an orphan, to help that orphan, as good as that is, that's about that orphan. And I believe me, I love orphans. Right? I've adopted three. They're no longer orphans. But if, 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 if I did that for, for oh, because I just feel bad. Oh, that's orphan. It's, it's all about the orphan. That's, that's sin because it's about something besides God. Right? So you're beginning to understand if it's not about God and done for God, it's sin. Right? And so it'd be like me telling Zach, hey, Zach, I, I need you to go mow, you know, well, Zach's 22 now, so, you know, back when he was a teenager, if I'd have said, Zach, go, I need you to go wash my car. Zach said, I don't wash your car. Man, I just want to play video games, Dad, you know. Now, what kids do, play video games, right? Now, I, I want to play video games. I don't wash your car. So he didn't, wa he didn't want to go wash my car, but then he comes in later and says, hey, Dad, I, I want to take your car. Mine's messed up. I, I, I got a date tonight. And I said, huh, you ain't taking my car. I ask you to wash my car. You're not taking my car anywhere, right? So he goes out. That's the way it works at my house, by the way. Uh, we, we, uh, so he goes out in the driveway. I look out, and he's out there washing the fool of that car. Now, let me ask you this. Is he washing that car to honor me? He's honoring me. He's washing that car because I asked him to. That's, he's just doing it to make me happy. He's doing it so that everybody goes, oh, his dad is so great. No, he's washing that car so he'll get the keys to the car. It ain't got nothing to do with me, Right? And so what does not proceed from faith is sin. And so, you know, uh, we have the ability to make choices. God gave us that ability. I make choices every day. I make a lot of good ones, and I make a whole lot more bad ones. Right? I mean, I make stupid decisions, and, I, and there's consequences for those decisions. I suffer. Other people suffer when I make bad decisions. Right? I mean, I make decisions. God gave me that ability. I make decisions. I, 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 I decide stuff. I do stuff. I make good ones. I make bad ones. I suffer consequences. God gave me that. But here's what I cannot do. I cannot do, I, I cannot decide anything for the things of God without the Holy Spirit. 
drawing me, convicting me. Uh, without the Holy Spirit's conviction, the Bible tells me that I would not seek the thing, uh, things of God. That's why the Bible says no one seeks God. So we've got to take that for what it means. No one seeks God. That's what it means in the Hebrew. No one seeks God. Now, hold on a minute, Pat. I know people that are at church. Well, people seek the things of God. People say, well, I, I want to be healed. Well, I, I want a lot of money. Well, I want to get out of trouble. Well, I want my marriage to work out. I want a lot of things. I want peace. I'm in turmoil. So I'm seeking for the things that God gives, but no one seeks God for who God is, according to the Bible. That's why Jesus said, no one can come to the Father unless the Father draws him. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. The Holy Spirit has to overcome the total depravity that is our mind because our mind is affected by sin totally to the point that I would always choose me rather than God. That's what it means. It's like, uh, you know, in seminary we would go on field trips. Even in seminary we'd get our little lunch boxes and we'd go on field trips. But we didn't take our lunch box. We stopped and got us a steak. But, um, <laughs> or a burger on, 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 on seminary budget, a 59-cent taco. Uh, you, we go on field trips sometime. I heard about one professor who took his preaching, preaching professor, he took his preaching class on a field trip, and they went to the cemetery. And, and he, he took them into the cemetery, and he said, I want you guys to look around. I want you to read some of the tombstones. Get to know some of these people a little bit, right? Get to know a little bit about them. So they're all doing that, and he calls them in, and he says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to start talking to these people and calling them out I mean, in the name of Jesus, whatever you want to use, call them out of their graves. Let's speak life into these people. Well, everybody in that class looked at him like Miley Cyrus looking at a second-grade math book. <laughs> Dude is crazy. I mean, what's going on? And, and so he, but the, he said, hey, you want, a, you want an A? You'll do it. Listen, if a seminary professor told me I want to do something, I'll get an A. I'm doing it, all right? I don't care how stupid I look. I'm doing it. I need an A. Right? And so they started doing it. They started calling out them bodies, come to life in the name of Jesus. All, all these things, obviously nothing happened. He let them go on and on and on for about 15, 20 minutes. Then he called them all again and said, okay, boys, here's what I want you to understand. What just happened is what you're going to be doing every time you stand up to preach for a crowd of people. Sure, there's going to be people there who's got life because they've got the Spirit because they're redeemed. But there's going to be a whole lot of people who have literally no life. And it doesn't matter how, how loud you yell. It doesn't matter how eloquent you speak. You can use all the cliches in the name of Jesus all you want. And unless the Holy Spirit raises them, they're not going to be raised. Unless the Holy Spirit breathes life, they're not going to have life. So don't you think that it's all on you. Don't think too much of yourself. And when you walk away and you preach a sermon and you think, oh man, there were 15 people that gave their life to Jesus today. Don't you dare walk out that door and think, boy, I hit it hard today, didn't I? Because you had nothing to do with it. Don't you think when you preach a, a message and you think you poured it all out on the, on, the, on the altar and you poured your sweat out and you worked hard all week and nobody responded and gave their life to Jesus, don't go say, well, I messed it up. Because it ain't about you. That's the great thing about evangelism. That's why you can do it with confidence because it's about the Holy Spirit. Now, you've got to be obedient. And, and, and you know what success is in sharing your faith is obedience. It's doing it, right? And so, so here's what he says. Here's what he says. He says, because of one man, Adam, all sin. Because of one man's sin, all are condemned. Because of one man's sin, death came into the world. Death spread to all men because all men sinned. In other words, they're in Adam, right? Bad news. You can't do anything 
to bridge the gap between you and God. You can't breathe new life. You're dead spiritually. The, Ephesians says that, you know, in, in, you were dead. God saved you, and you were dead in your sins and transgressions. You didn't give yourself CPR. Oh, I'm dying. You don't ever see that, right? Somebody's giving themselves CPR and say, I'm dying. You can laugh at them. They're not dying. Call 911 just in case, but they're not dying. You don't give yourself CPR. <sighs> you know? You can't do that. You're dead. You're dead, you're dead. Right? So, so you're dead, the Bible says. You can't do anything to bring spiritual life. Only the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit. That's bad news. Bad news because you're dead. You're, you got Adam's sin imputed to you. One for all. One man represented all. You're damned to hell because of it. That's bad news. But we're baptizing 20-some people right now in a few moments, I believe. And the reason we are is because they're not in Adam any longer. Why? Because the second half of what Paul's talking about with imputation is, he said, just as Adam's sin was imputed to you, Jesus' righteousness was imputed to you. See, just as death came into the world through one man's sin, life came into the world through one man's act of obedience. He's talking about Jesus, right? He's talking about when Jesus lived a perfect life, of which we couldn't, of which we didn't. He lived a perfect life, so when he died on the cross, his death stood in satisfaction of God's wrath because God couldn't sweep it under the rug. He couldn't just overlook it. He had to deal with it, and he dealt with it. He gave it to Jesus. Jesus got what I deserved, right? He got what I deserved. He took it on my behalf. And so, therefore, that his act was imputed to me. When, when God redeems you, he doesn't just take away your sin, forgive your sin. He gives you Jesus' righteousness. That's why it's secure. He gives you his righteousness. That doesn't mean that everything you do is going to be righteous. I do a lot of unrighteous things. That means that your legal standing before God is righteous justification. You are righteous, you are justified, not because of what you did, but because of what Jesus did. Now notice, he said that, and, and I told you about that verse, verse 18. He said that, that Adam's sin led to death and condemnation for all people. And then he said, uh, uh, you know, and I, uh, he said that, that Adam's sin led to death and condemnation for all, and Jesus' act of righteousness leads to justification for all. So here's the thing that should cause you to pump a brake. Whoa, here's what, did, did Paul say this? Did Paul just say that because of Adam, everybody's condemned and damned, and because of Jesus, everybody's saved? That's not what he said at all. You see, that's why it's important for you to know the Bible and, and systematic how it works and biblical theology, because he's not saying, he is saying that everybody in, a, in Adam, that all people are born sinners, but what he's saying is all people who are in Christ, it's about who represents you. In verse 17, he said, for those who receive the gift of grace, right? And the whole Bible, it doesn't say that God saves everybody. Last week I said Jesus' death is sufficient to save the world, but it only applies to those who believe. As he said in verse 17, to those who receive. So what he means here is who represents you, Adam or Jesus? That's, that's the question. Adam or Jesus? Because all who are in Adam are damned. All who are in Jesus are are justified all who are in Jesus that's what he says who represents you he's driving home the fact that salvation is 100% by God's grace it's 100% by God's grace it's sola fide which is faith alone it's by grace as, as Paul says in, in Ephesians we are saved by grace through faith so it's sola fide faith alone grace alone 
Faith in what? Jesus' work. Now let me explain this to you without confusing you, I hope, all right? There's covenants all through the Bible. There's covenants. God established a covenant with Adam and Eve. Do this, live, do this, die. That's a covenant. He established a covenant with Noah. Gave us the rainbow as a, as a seal of his covenant. The rainbow. That's what the rainbow means, right? It's been hijacked, but it's, it's, it's about God's covenant. Right? I, I mean, he, he established a covenant with Moses. He established a covenant with David. He established covenant. There's covenants. There's the covenant of grace. But let me tell you what the very first covenant was. The very first covenant in the Bible was a covenant of works. The covenant of works was Adam and Eve. There was not a covenant of grace because they didn't need grace because they had not yet sinned. The covenant of works was do this, live, do this, die. All performance, all what they did. It was all a covenant of works. Immediately, God didn't adjust because they sinned. Before the world, uh, he formed the world, uh, it went immediately. When they, fa- when they fell, it went from a covenant of works to a covenant of grace. In Genesis 3.15, when he said, he told the serpent, there'll be enmity between the woman, her seed, and you, talking about the enemy. You will cru- he will crush your head. You will wound his heel. He's talking about now the work is Jesus. And so, so you see, the first covenant was a covenant of works. Adam and Eve, do this, obedience, be blessed, do this, die, covenant of grace. And today, what I'm telling you is, we're still saved by works. Now, that would be confusing if you've been around here because I preach the opposite. But I'm really not preaching the opposite. I'm explaining what I really preach. We're saved by works. The deal is, whose works am I saved by? I'm saved by Jesus' work. It's by grace through faith in the work of Jesus on the cross. It's by grace. You see, my work will never get me there. And you see, this is why we have this infatuation with works. Because at creation, Adam and Eve, at creation, Adam and Eve were told, do this and you'll be blessed, do this and you'll die. As soon as they fail, what did they do? They tried to sew fig leaves together. They were to, to be approachable to please God. Ever since then, we've been trying to please God through what we do, and God said it's only through perfection. That's what's Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve's perfection was one sin and you die. As long as you're perfect, you're good. Since then, none of us can be perfect but Jesus. Because Jesus was perfect. His death on the cross, his resurrection, is the work that qualifies. That's then imputed to you. Imputation. One for all, one brought death, condemnation, the grave. One for all, one brought righteousness. One act of righteousness brought uh, righteous justification for all who believe. It's by grace, through faith, in the work of Jesus on the cross. That's how you're redeemed. Because the universal problem is sin from Adam. The universal solution is the gospel. And one day, what you need to understand is we're all going to stand before God. And one day we're going to stand before God, and here's the question that you need to ask yourself today. Who represents you if that were to happen right now? Somebody's going to represent you. You're either going to try to represent yourself with your work and your effort, and God says that is filthy rags in Isaiah. Everything you do is filthy rags to me. So who's going to represent you? If you you, uh, stand before God to represent yourself, you're damned. But if you stand before God... And you are in Christ, the Son will be, Jesus Christ will be your representative. His righteousness is given to you. And you will be declared righteous and justified. You have been declared righteous and justified. Who represents you? That is the question that you need to ask today. We're getting ready to baptize. 
I don't know, 20 people. I, I don't know how many, 20-some people. And here's the deal. Every one of those people, that baptism is not going to save them. That baptism is not going to save them. That baptism is going to be a symbol that they are justified. It's a symbol that they have believed in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. It, it is a symbol that Jesus' righteousness as imputed to them. They're not going to be perfect since the moment that they were redeemed. Some of them a week ago, some of them a month ago, some of them three, four months ago. They've not been perfect. When they come out of that baptismal water, they're going to go to lunch today and they'll probably commit five sins before lunch is over. Okay? They're not going to be perfect. So the baptism is a symbol that they have been redeemed, that they are righteous because they have Jesus' righteousness. He took their sin away and gave them his righteousness. And it's a time for us to celebrate and it's a time for us to rejoice. And it's a time for those of you, it's, 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 it's 20 presentations of the gospel. Death, burial, resurrection of their, old way, of their old selves to a brand new self. Death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. And it's a time for those of you who are not yet a believer to begin to think, who represents me? If you want to know today how to, how to have the imputed righteousness of Jesus given to you, that redeems you, breaks the bondage of sin, justifies you before God, come back and talk to us. If you are redeemed, justified, if Jesus' righteousness has been imputed to you, then, then you've got incredible reasons to worship, to, 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 to celebrate, to literally stand up and yahoo for Jesus, right? Because he's redeemed you. And because your sin's not just taken away, you're, he's given you his righteousness. It's secure. That's what Paul's doing here. And folks, this was a mouthful, I know. And I know I sp spoke it fast. Go back and watch it if you have to. But uh, we want to challenge you to uh, understand who God is in Scripture. We're not going to preach a little how, how to, you know, love your job. If you know the Scriptures, you'll learn all that stuff, right? I mean, we'll talk about those things, but in the context of challenging you up to God's Word. Thank you for letting us preach it. Thank you for letting us teach it. And I pray that you would take it and roll it over in your mind and chew on it. Don't just go out and say, oh, that's a great message. Chew on it. Chew on it. Live it. Breathe it. Let it change you. That's what God's Word does. I'm going to pray. Travis is going to come out. We're going to take up our tithes and offerings. We're going to respond. We're going to respond by giving our tithes and offerings. Some of you that need to be, receive the imputed righteousness of Jesus by giving your heart to Him, come back and talk to us. Some of you, that, those of you who already have, worship, praise, shout, Yahoo as we baptize. Have a great time as we sing and worship the one who makes it possible for us to be redeemed. Let's pray, and uh, then we'll baptize. Father God, we love you so much. God, I know that today uh, was, a, was a mouthful. And God, uh, I, I know, Lord, that, God, your truth never returns void. I pray that you would redeem people today. I pray that you would change people's hearts. I pray that those who are redeemed would be challenged to live different in light of who you are and knowing who you are at a deeper level. God, I, I pray that... Lord, we would see you do incredible things, God. Thank you that, Lord, you take our sin away, but you do more. You give us Jesus' righteousness. And God, I pray that, Lord, I know that we're not always perfect. And Lord, I, I commit sins walking to the baptistry. But God, I, I thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. Thank you for those who are being baptized right now as a presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The death, res burial, resurrection of Jesus. The death, burial of an old self and the resurrection of a brand new self. Symbolically saying, I'm on God's team. I've been redeemed. I'm justified. God, I pray that it would mark their life forever. And that they would live different lives. Not perfect lives. We know that they won't, but different lives. 
Bless this church. Help us to worship you, declare your praises. Help us to celebrate what you've done in the lives of these people. In Jesus' name, amen.